This is Hollywood Unfiltered, hosted by Dana Buckler and Brandon Lou here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio platform. My name is Dana Buckler. I'm Brandon Lou here. And we are, as always, thrilled that you're taking time to join us listening to Fun for Life Radio on Dash. We've got a just a chocked full episode for you this week. Lots to talk about, lots to go over. So, Brandon, first, I'm going to turn it over to you. What's trending? What's on your radar right now? Yeah. Hey, Dana. Hope you've been doing well. Hope you had a good week. My headlines this week start very close to home, my actual home, New Jersey. The Asbury Park Press reports that Netflix is bidding on the old Fort Monmouth. They're calling it the Mega Parcel for a new studio lot. Now, the fort closed in 2011, Dana. It's been going undergoing redevelopment in, in hopes to return it to private hands. Netflix confirmed this, that they want the almost 300-acre track to Fort Monmouth, where it hopes to create a mix of sound stages, of post-production buildings, and backlot sets. And they even made a statement to the Asbury Park Press saying, America's first movie studio was in New Jersey, and today it's home to many talented people working in entertainment. That's true. They also went on to say, quote, we're excited to submit our bid to transform uh, Fort Monmouth into a state-of-the-art production facility. Other prospective purchasers have until January to submit a proposal to buy the parcel. And it's been appraised at around $54 million, according to the Fort Monmouth Economic Redevelopment Group. A couple questions for you on that one. Number one, that $54 million, that's just for the piece of property. They're going to have to spend a lot of money to, to build everything you've talked about, correct? That's correct. Yeah, they like I said, they want to build new studios, production facilities. I assume they need office space. The fort has been vacant for a long time, and they will have to invest substantially more. My personal hope is that they build an East Coast version of the Soundcraft stage that they used to shoot The Mandalorian. Like, you know, they, amongst other things now, but it was reported last year, Lucasfilm was announced to build like three more sound studios like that around the world. It would be really cool. I don't know if there's any kind of patents or trademarks on that technology. It would be really cool for Netflix to get in that game because it's a really versatile piece of technology. I personally, like I said, I live less than 10 minutes away from where this is being built, Dana. It's going to be massive for this area if it goes through. The entire East Coast, it'll be massive. I hope this happens. I'm excited. I know personally from talking to people about this that all kinds of creative, technical, and strategic individuals are excited about this as well. And uh, but I want to give a bonus fun fact real quick for those who didn't know that the world's first studio was in New Jersey. It was Thomas Edison's laboratory in West Orange. It's part of the like the park system now, but uh, that was years before the motion picture industry moved to the warmer and more stable climate of L.A. Uh, but we're you know we're taking it back. I think J- Dirty Jersey is looking to take the title back. I have a couple more uh, sort of comments, maybe even questions for you. Number one, how far away is this from New York City? And that's going to lead into my second question. By train, you're looking at less than an hour. Car ride, less than an hour. There's even ferry. I mean, there, there's it's New Jersey. New Jersey transit, some of the best in the world. You have planes, taxis, 
I mean, it, it's accessible to New York City, Philadelphia, the other greater parts of New Jersey, Atlantic City, the whole uh, 195 corridor we're talking. I mean, the East Coast in, t- in its entirety is accessible from this area. And it's a beautiful, it's just a beautiful place. People talk a lot of shit about New Jersey. And that's okay with me, but it's very accessible, and there is a lot of talent here. Some of the greatest of all time are from New Jersey. Yeah, but I mean, just to go back, just to circle back to what I was saying about New York City, it being, geographically speaking, so close to New York City, uh, one wonders if this was a very strategic move for Netflix to, A, probably benefit from some maybe better tax uh, benefits than, say, the state of New York offers. I mean, because for the longest time, Filming in New York City was, I mean, that's a thing. That's a mainstay. Not so much anymore. Not so much. In fact, so many of Netflix's original programs right now are filmed in Georgia because Georgia gives incredible tax incentives. So Netflix has the capital. They have, as I will call it, the fiscal firepower to set up shop wherever they want. And I wonder, and this is just speculation, I don't know for a fact, but I wonder if this, if they scout it areas in New York, maybe even Long Island, you know, they could they could pretty much repurpose anything. So it's interesting that they chose this particular part of New Jersey. And it's, again, so geographically close to New York City, because as you know, L.A. is its thing and New York is also its thing. And there is a lot of talent in New York City as well. So I think that's a fascinating story. And and just to be clear, they haven't locked this down yet. They're they're in the bidding process, correct? That's correct. They haven't locked it down. Any number of other prospective buyers could come in and put in a better offer. The governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, has gone on record and has been very vocal about offering incentives to get the entertainment industry back to New Jersey. That You are exactly right. You're hitting the nail on the head. That's exactly part of why Netflix, I believe, is even considering New Jersey in the first place. I was going to say, and not to get super political, but some decisions have been made in, in Georgia politics that have rubbed uh, a lot of people in the entertainment industry the wrong way. And thus, uh, a lot of projects have been moved out of Georgia. And again, I'm not going to take a side on this. I'm just That's just a fact that a lot of theatrical or television series, uh, they've been looking for a new home after some decisions that were made, uh, politically speaking, uh, through uh, uh, Georgia's government. Listen, it's it's not even getting that political to say everyone knows that states have to compete Look what happens when Amazon announces they need new headquarters. It's like war between the states. The same thing kind of happens here. There's there's competition, and it benefits the companies to pick whatever location is going to be most cost-effective for them. That's interesting, man. This is going to be really fascinating because you have to know and you have to believe that the sound stages and the post-production you know, departments they're going to build are going to be beyond state-of-the-art. I mean, you mentioned The Mandalorian. I, I encourage listeners to go on YouTube and just Google, or excuse me, go on YouTube and just search Mandalorian behind the scenes and, and see how they're doing things now. They're not using green screens anymore. They're using these giant, massive, you know, 8K projector or 8K screens that are like, it's pretty amazing. So you have to believe Netflix is going to be on the cutting edge uh, with their production and obviously be able to to license those facilities out to other productions. So, I mean, I would like to really keep an eye on Netflix's stock. I'm not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. If they do secure this location. 
I'm very hopeful for all of this to happen. I don't want to say too much more. I'm almost superstitiously afraid to jinx it or whatever, Dana. But this is, I, again, I'm speaking for more than just myself when I say a lot of people in this area are very excited. I think Netflix are as well. Now, in other news, Disney Pixar announced that Buzz Lightyear is getting an origin story. You heard me right, Dana. It's not what you think, though. It's not what you think. Now, give me a second to explain here. So Variety is reporting that Captain America himself, Chris Evans, is voicing Buzz Lightyear in this upcoming origin story. However, this movie, it's called Lightyear, Dana. It doesn't follow the toy, the spacefaring toy of Tim Allen's character. Instead, this film introduces a real-life human if you want you know it's a pixar movie but it's a real life human astronaut whose adventures inspired the toy line seen on the toy story franchise so like in the trailer we see the real light year suit up for what is surely going to be like a risky and adventurous space mission gets on a shuttle with a crew anxiously watching blasts off to the cosmos David Bowie's Starman is playing in the background and he's exploring alien planets, this and that. It actually looks really interesting, but that this fits right into your theory of only sequels, prequels, remakes being made. But would you don't you think this is sort of a unique spin on that? It's like an origin story that tells the story of an origin. It's like genius almost. If any studio can pull off an original concept and still get asses in the seats, it's Pixar. And I say that as somebody who was 17 years old when Toy Story came out. And even my friends in high school were juniors in high school going, we got to go see this Toy Story movie. You know, that's, I mean, that's kind of something not a, you know, a group of 17 year old teenage guys want to do, but we want to go see it. So look, I saw Soul last year. I thought it was amazing. Pixar has been the one department of Disney that I've somewhat applauded for continuing to tell original stories. Now, having said that, I have no doubt that Lightyear is going to be fantastic because the track record for Pixar is almost flawless. I mean, almost absolutely flawless. Would I have liked to see an original story? Absolutely. Could you have told the story without it being tied to, to Buzz Lightyear? 100%. But I understand brand recognition is key right now. Having said all that, uh, you know, this is a movie that I will definitely watch. I don't know if I'll rush out to the theater, but when it becomes available on Disney Plus, which I'm sure it will 30 days after, yeah, I'll definitely sit down and watch this because Pixar makes an entertaining film. I'd like original movies, but uh, you know, I'm okay with this one. I think this is going to be an interesting spin on an origin story. I'm definitely going to go see it. I love Toy Story, and I was a kid when it came out, so it definitely has a nostalgia value for me. If you, you know, maybe you don't have quite the same nostalgia that I was as like a really young kid seeing this. But I think if you're going to do a, a sort of prequel sort of like it's something like this, really, it's almost like meta. It's almost looking at itself. I like that. But, you know, here's here's another thing that kind of fits into your theory here about the this uh, Joe Exotic. Carol Baskin and Jeff Lowe are back in front of the camera, except this time Joe Exotic is behind bars. Tiger King <laughs> 2 has been announced by Netflix, and they even released a preview clip of trailer. I don't know, Dana, if you were amongst the millions of quarantine people who buckled in to watch this. I was, but my God, am I excited for this. How could I, how could I not? Like, obviously, the pandemic is still ongoing, and it's horrible, and it's, it's nothing to make light of, but... And Netflix probably this was not timed in coordinates with the with the pandemic, but everybody watched Tiger King because we were all home. 
We were at, and and so did I. And I watched it. Uh, and I'm I'm sure everyone share, uh, shares my uh, my same experiences. Often with jaw on the floor, like what am I watching? How are these people getting away with it? I am very very curious. I have not watched the you said the little the sneak preview. I have not watched that because I'm going to just go into this thing completely blind and I'll give it the old two episode try. And if if it hooks me like the last one did, I'll, I'll finish it. I just have to comment again. Please indulge me for a moment. This whole thing about Joe Exotic thinking he was going to get a pardon up until right until January 20th when Biden was sworn in. Like I was I was actually watching that with bated breath thinking this this thing might really happen. They had a limousine pulled up to the prison where he was ready for him to to, to get out. And uh, Trump did not pardon him. But I just thought that was hilarious. So, yeah, this is real life. So this doesn't count as a sequel, prequel to remake to me because this is actually happening. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this one. I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, I am too. I did see the trailer. If you if you um, are interested in learning some more dirty secrets of the big cat trade, then you should go ahead and maybe check out the trailer for Tiger King Two. Dana, I'm very much looking forward to whatever to losing whatever remaining brain cells I have left over after watching the first season. I can't wait. I, I also want to preface this by saying, I I just want to, for the record to be known that I, I'm not a fan of Joe Exotic. I, I, I am a big animal lover, so a lot of that show was very difficult to watch for me. But we didn't watch really for the animals. The animals were the most normal thing about that documentary. It was the characters. And I, I'm anxious to see what happened. I'm anxious to see an update of what these characters are up to. Yeah, yeah. And you, know, you brought an interesting point. I think this show, without question, benefited from the pandemic, everybody being home. That being said, I think this show would have done equally as well, even if there wasn't the pandemic. I don't know. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. I I disagree. Like I think it would have been a popular show, but I don't think it would have been the phenomenon. Now, we'll never know. But I mean, the whole world, when this was released in March, the whole world was home. I mean, that's all we had was Netflix. So we'll, I mean, we'll see. Um. I lean more towards the side of it would it would have been popular, probably as popular as making a murderer. That was a very, very popular true crime. But that didn't people were the number one costume for Halloween last year was Joe Exotic. I mean, this thing <laughs> got into the, the the cultural zeitgeist. So yeah, but I think the pandemic definitely helped its numbers. Yeah, we'll never know. But having seen it, I think I think it would have done well. I'm definitely, like you said, excited for number two to come out. Now I have one more story I want to talk about, Dana, until we get into the other topics. And that's an update on the tragic shooting on the set of Rust in New Mexico. Earlier last week, it was widely reported, including on this show, that a tragic accident took place on the set of a film in New Mexico. Director Joel Souza was shot. Helena Hutchins, a wife, a mother, cinematographer, she was shot and killed. There was a lot of speculation that started flying the second this story hit the press and last week we opted to just we paid our respects we wanted to wait and see what new information has come out before we started discussing it now a lot of stuff has has been released from police reports Alec Baldwin himself has come out with statements i don't know Dana where do you, where should we where should we begin with this with the listeners here it's a delicate I topic begin with- it is a delicate to- topic, but there's something that I want to say, and I want to get this off my chest. 
I'm all about free speech. That's big for me. People can say and they can say whatever they want as long as it doesn't physically harm somebody or mentally, you know, create mental anguish. But having said that, I have been utterly disgusted by some of the memes that I have seen on social media in reference to this tragic, tragic event. Now, I don't want to get on my high horse. I'm guilty of posting things online that I probably, in hindsight, shouldn't have. But there's and I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna give the give any airtime to what I saw. But I'm just gonna put this: if you're if you're posting memes about what happened with the situation on the set of Rust, you're a disgusting person. You have the right to do it, and I I will defend that right for you to do it. But you're a disgusting person, and I I'll admit I actually unfriended several people because. I just chose, I don't, even though they have the right to post that stuff, I made the decision that I don't need them in my life. So that's the, that's where I want to start with this because you and I are very vested in the entertainment industry. It's something that we're passionate about. So this hits close to home for us because we really follow productions. We are champions of films and television. And my God, we, we've been talking about the, you know, the IOTC strike. And so when something like this happens, you know, immediately we shift our attention to it. And, and last week we made the decision to just report what had happened without giving any speculation. Now, I've had an opportunity to reach out to some directors and other tradesmen that work in the industry, uh, including one of my sources who knows the director, Joel Souza. They've worked together in the past and uh, he had told me, you know, he was he was on a different level of outrage by what happened. He said, you know, this is easily one of the most preventable tragedies in motion picture history. Now, things have happened, tragedies have, have befallen movie sets over the years, but this was one of the most preventable tragedies. We don't have all the answers yet, but based on what I've seen, I uh, very, very much watched the press conference by the uh, the sheriff's department and the district attorney, and it's clear that, yes, the chain of custody from the armorer to the assistant director to Alec Baldwin failed, but the bigger failure in this situation was the fact that there was fucking live ammunition on a movie set, which there should have never have been, and and for that, that's inexcusable. The decision to bring live ammunition on the set, unfortunately, was the catalyst that started the wheels in motion that led to this unthinkable tragedy. And I, you know, I'm going by what the district attorney said. You know, when when pressed, is is there going to be criminal liability? Will people face criminal charges? And the answer she gave was all options are on the table. And they said they started to name individuals and she just reiterated all options are on the table. So, you know, it's still a very fluid situation and, you know, we get updated information every day, but I'm disgusted by what happened. And you mentioned it last week and I was really trying to be a little bit stoic because I didn't want to really get into how pissed off I am about what happened in this situation. But man. You want to talk about just a tragedy, and it just, it was so preventable. I'm sorry. Thank you for letting me rant for a moment. Yeah. Well, we're both disgusted by by this, and everything I've been talking with people about, Dana, the questions they ask, because they know I'm into this stuff, that we're into this stuff. I, I mean, Helena Hutchins was a Nazi member. We, we've been covering, we were just covering the Nazi strike. I have a 
you know, we, we both have a very personal relationship with the entertainment industry. Even for me personally, with things like Yahtzee, like I've been involved with them since high school. I studied audio engineering, you know, it's like it definitely disgusts me to see people doing and saying things that are just insensitive. I'm in the camp that I feel like people should have the freedom to say whatever they want, even if, if people don't agree with it. For some reason, this situation just felt specifically disgusting when people were were doing it. i don't know maybe it was just it felt ignorant i'm sorry to cut you off it felt ignorant is how i dealt with it and i'm i'm not trying to get these people canceled okay it just felt ignorant i'm sorry to cut you off no it just felt disrespectful like from my perspective it just felt disrespectful i was personally trying to be mindful of well not everyone has that personal relationship to this industry and to these people like we have and and to these stories that we have once the dust settled and we started learning the facts, we did learn that there was a live round. Initially, it was reported there was it was only a blank and there was ricochet or this and that. And but it was you know there was a, a weapons expert who I saw went on one of the news platforms talking about how even a blank because these are you know there people were asking me how does a prop gun kill someone? Well, a lot of the times these are real guns, especially during period pieces. They, these they're actual real guns that have blanks or. Or, or sort of, you know, prop ammunition in there. And there have been a couple of times, like with the, the tragedy of Brandon Lee, and there's the tragedy of the young actor messing around with a gun with the blank, and he put it to his head, and just the pressure of it actually killed him. You, you touched on this last week, Dana, that you thought we were sort of beyond, like after all some of these incidents and, and the gun safety protocols on sets, that we were beyond something like this happening. A lot of the people I've been talking about this with ask, how does something like this even happen? How does live ammunition get onto a set? How, how the heck does a prop kill someone? And, and you know, they, then the reality that many guns used in the films are real. Well, the thing is, they have prop guns, which a lot of times are real guns that have been deactivated and they do not have the ability to fire live rounds. They, they work more like, you remember cap guns when we were a kid? You know, they, that they work more like that. The unfortunate or the ironic thing about that is those prop guns often cost more than the real guns. So when you're looking at, um, uh, again, pure speculation here, when you're looking at a very low budget film where every dollar counts, maybe in some cases it was cheaper to have real guns on the set. I'm not making excuses. That's all going to be brought up. We're, we're going to find out, you know, in the course of this investigation, why that is. But even having real guns on the set does not excuse having live ammunition. Uh, from what I understand, and again, everyone listening, I just want to be clear. These are not facts. These are, these are what I'm interpreting from listening to the press conferences is that they found, uh, a, you know, like a fanny pack, like a satchel with ammunition in it. And in that fanny pack was a just a loose amount of ammunition that was dummy rounds, blanks, and live ammunition. And the armorer is even coming out saying that she possibly got confused about what was a blank and what was, you know, a, a, a live round. This is no longer being called an accidental shooting. This is being called a negligent shooting. Because the more you dig into it, the more it's like, how in the world did this happen? You, you, you try to come up with excuses for them. Well, they, they didn't have the money for this, so they had to do this. But that doesn't change the fact that there was individuals on the set that were being grossly irresponsible. 
Well, that's an interesting point. There's reports, Dana, of crew members walking off the set just hours before, citing COVID safety concerns, work hour concerns, and even gun safety complaints. There was reports of, of misfires happening up to three other times before this. What do you make of that? Oh, I'm trying to tread really carefully here. This is in, in the press, Dana. This is this has been no, reported no, by many. I'm just you talking know. about like, but but my opinion, just just my opinion on this is, and you're right. This is all being reported, and we're not the only ones discussing this. So I'll I'll just go ahead and just continue saying like, you clearly had a breakdown in leadership on the set of this film. Now I don't know who ultimately has the final say. Alec Baldwin is the producer of the film, but. A lot of times, actors in a film, if they put up a certain amount of money, they can get that producing credit. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have final say on what's going on. So, in a very ironic twist of fate, is, you know, typically the director is the one in charge of the set. Okay, the producer has a final say. The producer can come in and shut things down, but the day-to-day activities on a set, the director is the leader. And I know this because I talk to directors all the time and they talk about the 500 yes or no questions they get asked from every single person. What about this outfit? What about this set? What about this? Should I have this can of soda in there? I mean, everything has to be a yes or no from the director. So the irony of this situation is that the director who was wounded in a perfect world, he should have been in charge of what was happening on the set. So, I mean, this is... The more you think about it, the more complicated it gets. But there was a failure of leadership from whoever was ultimately in charge of that set. Because speaking to my source, who has done a number of movies, uh, some of which involved a lot of guns and gunplay and gunfire, he would have shut down the production and he would have fired all parties involved if a live round had been found on the set of set of one of his films. And the fact that, you know, we're hearing that there were other misfires, this is this already happened. I mean, you have to feel bad for everyone involved, but at some point you have to say enough is enough, who is responsible and there is criminal liability that needs to be explored on this situation. Well, it's still too early to know that yet. There's been a lot of speculation about culpability. Who knew what? When did they know it? But you talk about this this chain of custody with the with the weapon itself, Dana. There are protocols on the film sets that should render this type of situation completely impossible. I want to. Well, let well, me just say this. I want to be delicate here, of course, but people have been suggesting that everyone who touched that gun is responsible, including Alec Baldwin, even if if so, even if the assistant director, Mr. Hall, said cold gun. People, they, people suggesting, given the fact that, okay, Alec Baldwin has been working with guns on set since the 80s. He's a professional, and it's been argued that he should have known better despite having been told that it was a cold gun. And again, I, I feel sympathy. Like if, if this is truly an accident and like you see those pictures, I saw those pictures of Alec Baldwin looking devastated. I felt awful. I'm a fan of, you know, putting all politics to the side. I'm a fan of Alec Baldwin as an actor. And if I, I you know, I work with actors sometimes. I work on productions all the time for businesses, organizations and stuff. One of my worst fears is that an accident happens on, on a set that I'm in charge of and, and, and something like this happens. I feel awful for everyone involved, but that doesn't mean that they're not responsible though. If they yeah, knew and better. I have a friend of mine just t- touching on something real quick. 
talking about chain of command and a friend of mine who was uh he was on set of a Bruce Willis movie that's being filmed in El Paso, Texas. And this was uh Wednesday. Wednesday uh just uh last Wednesday he was on set and this is a movie that involves guns and he called me and we were chatting and I and I asked him I said was there a noticeable change on the set uh following what happened on on the uh with the rust uh, incident and he said oh yeah yeah he said before we even began filming the armorer brought every single individual together and pulled out each firearm most of them were prop guns i think in fact i think all of them were prop guns at this point but he he took it he took an opportunity one by one to go through the prop gun with each individual and said do you have any questions this is how you clear it this is how you check to see if it's loaded and the actors in the particular scene that he was on set for when they were handed the prop gun before the cameras rolled they cleared it again so you have to believe moving forward anyone that handles the gun it's just it's it's like you know a pilot flying a plane there's a co like a, an airliner there's a co-pilot they go through a checklist it may seem redundant because they've flown 30,000 hours but they each go through it one by one check do you agree yes do you agree do you agree so that chain of custody has to it has to have everyone doing the same actions everyone it has everyone has to concur like i'm sorry i'm getting worked up i'm just so frustrated that this happened well you know you're saying moving forward but the the fact still remains that this did happen and it shouldn't have happened and 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 these protocols were in place already dana there was an onset armorer hannah gutierrez reed her father was a famous uh weapons master in hollywood david halls the first assistant director called cold gun and alec baldwin they all touched it they all like you said should have quote unquote cleared that weapon in this particular situation you know we can talk about moving forward like definitely things are going to change again they should have been changed this should never have happened in the first place but like the the protocols that were in place to prevent this were just do we feel like from your perspective do we feel like they were ignored it was just negligence again as far as we know there are three people at least who have who passed the gun off? Who could have cleared it, or checked it? So, like, how again? That's the, where the real the real questions start popping up here. You you asked. You said you know the fact of the matter is that this happened, so there was negligence. That's a fact. That's in, that's not disputable at all. The only question is how many people will are how many people are culpable in this negligence? Because you're right. Everything you've said about the chain of command and checking the weapons that that should have happened and it didn't. So, bottom line is yeah there was clearly negligence on the set this was not an accident and i hate to say that and this is this is very personal for me like i know we're both getting a little bit upset here but that's because it is it is personal like i like i said i i work on sets all the time they're not movie sets they're usually for commercials or for promo spots for businesses or this and that but again like as someone as as the person who's usually in charge of a crew and a set i feel that in the back of my mind, that little paranoia of, oh my gosh, I really hope that nothing catastrophic happens. We're never, you know, very rarely working with prop weaponry of any kind, but still like, you know, it's, you're out in the open world. Sometimes things happen. It's, it's a thought. This is Alec Baldwin came out just the other day and was quoted saying this was like a one in a trillion thing. Like that's like, I guess like that's everybody's deepest fear. Like, I don't know, but 
for those who don't know, he's up in the, the Northeast United States right now with his wife. And the video picks up and they're on the side of this sort of old country road and it's him and his wife and they both have their cameras uh, operating on their phone and Alec is answering questions from uh, reporters off screen and you can tell that he's he's clearly clearly devastated by what happened and he 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 says he said that and I'm paraphrasing everything here that you know he's been talking to the the sheriff's department every day. He has been told not to comment on what happened, but he did, like you said, he did say that he said that Helena Hutchinson was a friend of his and that he's devastated by this. And this was a, a one in a trillion. Did he use, did he say one in a trillion accident? I can't remember. Admittedly, I don't have the quote up in front of me, but it, he said it was, right. a, it was a one in a trillion a- accident or something. Yeah. What was interesting about it was Alec Baldwin's wife, uh, num- numerous times during this impromptu interview, was trying to shut it down, it, it, and and they got a little testy with each other. I mean, even even he looked at her at one point and said, I- "I'm going to answer their questions. Just stop talking." And I was just it, the whole thing was very bizarre and very uncomfortable to watch because you know you're dealing with you know you you're you're seeing a man who's dealing with everything he's ever done in his life is now changed forever. Well, no matter what the outcome is, he's he's going to be remembered. For a really good acting career, but this will always be part of, you know, who he is. You know, his his entire name has changed forever. And you can tell he's dealing with the tragedy of losing his friend, with his entire life changing. And, you know, maybe the smartest thing for him to do was would have been to not give that interview. But you can tell that his emotions are incredibly raw right now. Well, tensions are going to be high no matter what. I, you know, I don't want to talk on Alec Baldwin's behalf. But I could only imagine that he he wants, you know, I know he was quoted saying he's working with the police. He he wants to be accountable and he wants to, sh- you know, he wants to be in the like accountable to the public. But it's really it's just a challenging situation. He has to listen to his lawyer saying, you know, you really shouldn't say this or that. He's talking, you know, but he he you know he understands that there's a lot of anger and confusion about what's happened. I think the sentiment that he's like willing to go out there and try to answer some questions. I get where his wife's coming from too. You know, he's like just she's just probably just trying to look out for him, and it's just it's a hard thing. He's like he he probably he just probably wants to be honest. Again, I'm hopeful that the case is he just wants to be honest, and it's the situation is inherently challenging as it is, and then then you add all the you know trying to be walk on eggshells around the public and giving the lawyers and all this and that. I don't know. Well, we will see. I, I just for, at this point I'm yeah. just like well, let's see what happens now. Let's see let's see what the prosecutors say and and what law enforcement says. And to anyone listening, I hear I encourage you, yeah, like bring it bring it full circle. Just be just be fucking respectful of people. You know, just be respectful of people's lives. Like, it doesn't matter what industry, it doesn't matter what you do for work, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters. The two things matter in this world: being a good human being and treating other people with respect. You know what I mean? Like, it's just I don't know. Being able to have, being able to laugh at tragedy is one thing, but there I don't know. There's times and places for everything, and there's just certain things that are distasteful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio platform. Be sure to follow this station on Instagram at Fun for Life Radio. You can follow me on Instagram at Real Dana Buckler. Follow me, Brandon underscore Lou here, L-O-U-H-I-E-R. And we'll be back in just one moment. This is Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio. 
You're listening to Fun for Life Radio on Dash. Because you're happy and you're healthy and plan to stay that way. Okay, and we're back. This is Hollywood Unfiltered. I'm Dana, joined as always by Brandon. And Brandon, before we go, I... Now, we didn't lead off today's show with the box office because, honestly, uh, this is just kind of industry an industry standard. No big movies are ever released when Halloween falls on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. That is just smart business on Hollywood's part. They know. There was a couple small horror movies that were, that were quietly released, uh, Antlers being one of them. And as expected, they did disastrously bad because you, you don't release a movie the weekend of Halloween. People are trick-or-treating, Halloween parties, the whole nine. So just taking a look at the box office, last week's number one, Dune, continued to hold the number one spot. However, it, it only brought in about $15 million, and it's, right now it's looking at about a $69, $70 million domestic haul. But I'll tell you this, not to spend too much time on this, I think the film's getting a lot of strong word of mouth. What do you think? I think it is. You know, like the, the what is it, like 60-something percent drop-off from Dune's opening weekend? Consider yeah. that fairly solid, especially again considering that it had a day and date release. I, I people have been texting me, "Have you seen Dune?" and that they really enjoyed it. I think the reception, I think the word of mouth is good on this. I and the fact is that between the time that we between last week's uh, show and this week's show, it was officially announced that a sequel has been greenlit and it is set to be released in October of 2023. But I think this movie is. I think this movie is going to have a lot longer legs than even I anticipated. Like you, I've had a lot of people reach out to me asking me if I'd seen Dune. And and then there was a lot of people who were reaching out to me saying, I just saw Dune. It was amazing. It was everything I had hoped for. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy for the success of this film. And I think this is a film that will... I, th- I think is going to be, you know, so many movies are just one and done. You see it, you forget about it, you move on. I'll admit to this movie calling to me, like, mm, I, I kind of want to watch that again. You know, like, I feel like there's so much in this film. I, I want to watch it again. So, you know, we'll keep you updated on Dune. It's uh, it's doing better than, than I expected. The other major release that came out this weekend is the new Edgar Wright film, Last Night in Soho. Are you familiar with this film? No, I haven't heard anything about this. Okay, so this is Edgar Wright. You know, this is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End, Baby Driver. You know, I love Edgar Wright. I love him. He's a fantastic director. This movie severely fell under my radar. Kind of the way Dune fell under your radar, it really fell under my radar. Now, it didn't open to a wide release. Again, movies don't get a wide release on Halloween weekend, but it just kind of quietly went in there. It's coming in at sixth place with about $5 million, but getting a lot of strong word of mouth as well. I kind of you know, like to do a little what's trending on social media movie-wise, and this one really seems to be getting a lot of buzz. Uh, the other film I want to talk about, of course, is Halloween Kills, which brought in close to $8 million, which is... Uh, just above a 50% drop from last week. I thought it would do better because it is Halloween weekend, but even a lot of the industry insiders are, are, are impressed with the numbers that it did this weekend. They, they were expecting, you know, a 50 million, 
Then it was down to 15 million. They were expecting this thing to have about two to three million. So eight million is pretty strong. And uh, uh, in case anyone's wondering, yes, I still really loved Halloween Kills, and I'm very excited for the sequel. The other film I'll just mention, the James Bond film, is uh, came in at fourth place. It's still holding, holding pretty strong. And Venom, Let There Be Carnage, uh, came in at fifth place and has really been kind of the surprise movie of the year as far as uh, a sustainable box office run. So that's the box office. Uh, Brandon, before we wrap up today's show, uh, I understand you you have homework for me? Yeah, I do. And before I give you that homework, I just wanted to say quickly, Dana, you know, I started at season three of Curb Your Enthusiasm, as you suggested. And I managed to indulge upon five or six episodes so far. Even though I'd barely seen any of it yet, I was I was pretty hooked right away, buddy. And I was, uh, you know, I've loved comedy. I really do. It's my favorite. It very much reminded me of an R-rated Seinfeld, but the fictionalized version of Larry David we see in the show also kind of have as these echoes of uh, of like David Brent and Michael Scott from the like the UK US Office. I love those shows. And both, yeah, they're both modern classic characters. I'm, I'm excited to dive more into this. I know you were talking about there's a new season on HBO Max, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I will say this. I'm really glad that you're enjoying the show. And this is not a knock on season three, but literally every season tops the previous season. So it only gets better. I can't wait. And, and it's really good. It's really good. And it just gets better and better. So... I, I watched the first episode of season 11. Uh, of course, I'll keep this spoiler free. Like almost everything I've ever seen of Curb Your Enthusiasm, there were a lot of laugh out loud moments for me, which is interesting because I was watching it by myself. And it's always fun to laugh with a, when, you know, when you're watching something with somebody else or a group of people. A lot of times, if I'm watching comedies and it's just me, I'll, I'll chuckle or I'll smile but with Curb Your Enthusiasm, there's literally laugh out loud moments when I'm by myself. And of course, the big question was, and I'll keep the spoiler free. This is the first season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't want to say post-pandemic, but it was made while the pandemic was still happening. So the question becomes, does Larry David, who has dealt with real world issues before, how does Curb Your Enthusiasm handle the pandemic the question becomes do they completely ignore it do they just continue to do the show as is do they have storylines that deal specifically with things we're all familiar with when it comes to the pandemic or do they just live in a world where the pandemic has happened and it's over i will tell you this keeping it spoiler free they do not pretend that the pandemic did not happen uh, the pandemic is referenced in this first uh, episode of Curb. It is not the overarching theme of the episode. There are references to it, and that's all I'm going to say. I was very curious to see how that was going to happen, uh, how they were going to handle that. And the thing about Curb, and I, I think this starts with season three, could be season four, but the, the the ten episode seasons, there is an over there's there's a story arc that is spread out over the ten episodes. And the story arc for this curb involves Larry creating a new television show, okay, which I think is really interesting because this is a very mild spoiler, but he's creating a television show for Netflix, 
which is uh, just amazing because of you know Curb is HBO, HBO Warner, HBO Max. And I thought that was just really, really clever. And I'm not going to say anything more than that because there are like every single episode of Curb, there's an A, B, C, D plot in each episode. So I've I've only touched on one aspect of it, but I really enjoyed it. I I watched the first episode. I'm going to hold off on watching the next three episodes. I'm going to wait a few weeks and then I'll binge those three back to back to back. So uh, I'm excited for you to eventually get to this season. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting there too cuz admittedly, you know, I was sort of pre-hooked to the on the show like the second you said that the majority of the show was improvised. As I said, I've only made it through the best part of like the first uh, the third season so far, but you know, I could tell at some I I just I really enjoyed it. I I could tell at some points that yeah, they're like they're clearly riffing, they're improving and other times it was it was seamless. And uh either way it was I was having a lot of fun. And can I just say another thing really quick, Dana? I just appreciate that we're finally watching something lighthearted and funny. Like we're sort of reviewing something lighthearted. Because the past month, the past month, let's look back of of everything we've reviewed. We had the Many Saints of Newark's gangsters killing their own family members. Squid Games, many people killing themselves or getting killed for money. Three different Halloween movies in a row with the mindless (laughs) killing machine Michael Myers quite literally going to town. And And even Dune, I thought, you know... I, well, firstly, I thought I was going to die going to the movie theater in the first place. And then the film itself is kind of heavy in some parts. Uh, joking about the movie theater bit. But no, it was a very nice reprieve and uh, ironic considering we are literally coming out of Halloween weekend here on the East Coast. So, um, you know, it's also it's also nice just to be able to throw on one episode of something and just watch it and then be done for a Excellent. while. But I, I know we got to wrap up here in a sec, Dana. So I do. I do have homework for you. Okay. The reason I want to do this is because, you know, I've been giving what, like, I've been giving what, like four or five challenges now, just blind. You give me no warning. Okay. So it's, it's your turn. Now you're going to, I'll, I'll go out and just say you're going to kind of hate it, but I th- I'm hopeful that you'll like it next week when we talk about it more than you will now. But your homework, Dana, is to go see the Eternals in the movie theater in the movie theater. Now I know you're going to hate it. And I, I want to do this because you already have negative such negative sort of preconceived notions about the the latest marvel movies to me that's what it seems i'm skeptical you know too much about this particular movie in the same sense that perhaps i know as much about dune like i i know you know you know it's in marvel you i think you feel like it's meant for the diehards and the the mcu diehards and maybe not for much else but this film I feel like might be a little bit different because this film is meant to offer a sort of explanation to you, Dana, of some bigger picture concept stuff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's supposed to tell this the true cosmic history of the MCU. So I would love you. I would love it if you could go in with as few preconceived notions or negative feelings as possible. I would love you to give it a fair chance. Make it like a blind. Give it the Dune treatment I gave last week. Have it kind of be blind. The, this movie is supposed to be massive in scope, just like Dune. The cast is as all-star as it gets. It's supposed to be, it, it, this movie is being celebrated as as diverse of any superhero movie as it gets. And I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, I don't, I, I feel, you know, some people have certain feelings about that type of thing. I, for one, am all about all different types of people being represented in movies. I love that. And the director, Dana, is an Oscar-winning indie director who's taking on this massive blockbuster. So it's kind of up your alley for Marvel movies. And you know, you're not a Marvel diehard, so I'm really curious to see. I have one more thing. I have one more thing. 
this movie is the lowest rated Marvel Cinematic Universe film beating out Thor The Dark World for that title. Congratulations. Admittedly, I want to say Thor The, Gar the Dark World got better with time as like the later films like kind of helped it to do that. But but the, but this, the film hasn't even been released yet, Dana. It hasn't even been released yet and people are already criticizing it. So you have every advantage as, as a as an MCU hater to go in talking as much shit as you want coming out of it. I like this challenge. And you know what? I know you weren't aware of Doom. I know it it, it, it kind of escaped your radar. Uh, I'm well aware of the Eternals. Disney does an amazing job marketing their products. I will comment on one thing you said. You said this is a movie for the for the Marvel diehards. It still costs $250 million to make. So they, they're going to have to bring in more than just the diehards for this thing to turn a profit. I just want to say that. Now, I have some blank spots in my MCU timeline. There, I haven't seen all of the films. Okay. So, my question to you is, I did see Infinity War, I did see Endgame. I have not seen any of the quote-unquote Phase 4 Marvel films. From what you're hearing and what you're understanding, am I going to be completely lost, or is this just a story that's going to help shed light on the entire MCU? Given what I know that you know already about the MCU, you know the main characters, the main properties. Yeah. I haven't seen the film myself yet, so I can't speak to what's actually in there. But from what I understand, this should this is sort of a new team that's being introduced to the MCU. There will be plenty of references and Easter eggs to the all the past phases, one through four of, of the MCU. But I'm I'm pretty hopeful that you are going to come out of this movie with a... This is almost like an introduction, a reintroduction, so to speak, to the MCU. Again, I, I have that same hope. All I know about this movie, and this isn't really a spoiler, this is just a, a teaser. Again, this is sort of supposed to be a cosmic history, a bigger picture look, and this actually might fill in some of those gaps for you, so... Okay. All right. Well, challenge accepted. I'm going to do it. So consider it done. I'm looking forward to talking to it, talking to you about that one. So awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio platform. Uh, again, my name is Dana Buckler. My name is Brandon Luhier. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Fun for Life Radio. You can follow me on Instagram at Real Dana Buckler. Follow me at Brandon underscore Lou here, L-O-U-H-I-E-R. You can also subscribe to our Hollywood Unfiltered YouTube to get clips and, and partial episodes if you can't catch them live. All right, Brandon. Well, we've got a big show next week. That's for sure. It's, uh, it's A, I'm going to the movie theaters, and B, I'm going to see a Marvel movie in the theater. This is going to be a hell of a week just leading up to this. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you about it, okay? I'm looking forward to it too, bud. I'll talk to you soon. All right, talk to you soon. And for everyone listening, thank you so much. And we will catch you same time, same place next week. <laughs>